You're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Jacob Sheckman, and we are part of Your Future is Our Business, which is a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that helps students ages 10 to 18 explore careers by connecting them to adults through programs such as colleges and career expos, career panels, and other work-based learning activities. You're listening to our show, What to Be, where we interview and highlight the career journeys of inspirational people in Santa Cruz County. If you've ever thought, how did they get that job? Or what is that job even really like? Then keep on listening. We would like to remind our listeners that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or Your Future is Our Business. Please note the information provided during this program does not reflect this career in its entirety. And today I am excited to welcome Dr. Ginger Charles. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Dr. Charles is here as the Chair and Instructor of Criminal Justice at Cabrillo College. So again, thank you for being here. And to start off, tell us what uh, Cabrillo College Criminal Justice is like and what, what is your role there as the chair? So I'm very new. I started at Cabrillo, oh, let's see, <laughs> August of uh, this just this past year. And uh, I had been teaching in the California area, specifically in psychology, but I Where were you teaching before? I was teaching at Modesto Junior College, a part-time instructor. And I'm kind of in a unique blend because with my years of law enforcement, I have a master's in clinical psych and a doctorate in health psychology. So uh, I used to be referred to as the Zen cop. Um, so I have a nice blend of both backgrounds. And so when I was seeking full-time employment, then Cabrillo, uh, had an opening for a full-time faculty in the criminal justice program. And, uh, I was hired there in, in August. Awesome. And so let's go in reverse order in terms of your background. You were, you were teaching there at, in Modesto before Cabrillo, and you mentioned that you had several years in law enforcement. How long were you in law enforcement? And I guess, as I understand it, being in law enforcement can mean many things. So what did you do in this field? Certainly. I Actually, I was in uh, Colorado as a police officer. So wow. I've been a police officer for 27 years. My last assignment was the I was a sergeant in charge of the Crimes Against Persons and Crimes Against Children detectives, probably my most favorite assignment as a uh, law enforcement officer. I started out very young in a very small town. I was the only female on the force for many years, and then I uh, moved after about 10 years and went to a much larger agency close to the Denver area. And then uh, as, as I progressed in my career, I knew it was time to retire. But before that, I became very, very interested in behavior, which is why I, I got a master's in clinical psych and then my doctorate. When I was ready to retire in 2013, I knew if I stayed in Colorado, I'd go right back into law enforcement because I love it. It's wonderful, but you have to know when to leave. And so I thought, well, I have this education. Let's see if I can find another calling. And so I decided I would come out to California because I love California and the coast and I have relatives out here. And so I came out and I started to look for a career in uh, teaching and Modesto Junior College hired me and I taught there for about six years still teach an occasional class there, and then applied for this job here at Cabrillo, and now I'm running the criminal justice program. So you came on board to Cabrillo as the chair? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, wonderful. And just so I understand, you you got your two degrees before you even went into law enforcement? As a law enforcement officer. How, wow. How, so concurrently, you're a law enforcement officer and you're doing all of these studies. Yes. So just to give you a quick story, when I was ready to do my master's. I, my actual, my first degree is in English. 
And uh, the way I ended up in law enforcement is I was uh, managing a Gart Brothers sporting goods store and we were robbed one day. And so the uh, officer who came in said, can you write a report for us? And I said, certainly. And so I wrote a report and he read it and he said, man, this is a great report. You ought to think about being a cop. And I went, okay. Wow. So I started, te- I started to look at uh, law enforcement jobs. Ended up at this very small agency. And within, I would say within, I think it was probably within months, I had this really weird night. I was the only one on in the entire county. And I had a woman in the back of my car. She must have been 80. And she was explaining to me what it was like to have what at the time was called multiple personality disorder. Now it's called DID or dissociative identity disorder. She explained in one personality, she has perfect vision. And in another personality, it's documented that she has to wear glasses. And I was hooked. I was like, this is fascinating. One, because she was telling the truth. And two, because I just was thinking the brain is absolutely miraculous. Yeah, I I didn't, I have no background in that field Mm -hmm. and mental health. I never would have imagined that this disorder would have a physical effect. The brains actually look different when you scan them in their different personalities. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I was thinking, okay, well, if a person with a quote-unquote disorder can do this, what about a healthy person as far as being resilient and staying healthy? What does that look like? So anyway, that was my initial interest. And then the very next night, I had a call to, this is a mountain town, and there was a bridge, and there was a woman who was saying she was going to jump off the bridge into the water. So I was the only one on again. And I spent probably two hours trying to talk to her because I'm not very big. And as you know, physics, if you go to grab somebody, they're going to take you over with them. So I spent about two hours talking to her. She was distressed, broke up with a boyfriend, typical problems, but just thinking the world was ending. She agreed to come with me Mm -hmm. and uh, took her to the mental health facility and hopefully she got some help. But in the meantime, I was just blown away. And the very next day I enrolled into a clinical psych program. So I did that while I was a, a police officer up there. And then when I left up there, I'd had an illness where I was very close to dying. And I was at the point where I was just like, I, I need to do something. I need to figure out what's going on with health and why do cops stay healthy and why do some deteriorate? And so I enrolled in a PhD program. Okay. The What was the official title of your degree, the PhD degree? So my PhD is in health psychology. Okay. I started out working in um, health risk factors. It's really brilliant research. And I was just blazing through the program. Just all my courses were done. And I was working with this professor. And in a doctoral program, as you know, you have to either find something brand new or you have to build your work off of somebody mm-hmm. else. So I was going to build my work off of this brilliant scientist. And all of a sudden, he disappeared. And so I went back. As in he stopped publishing? I couldn't find him. So he just was nowhere. I emailed, I called, nothing. Weird. Okay. So I go to, at the time I was living in Colorado and the the school was out here in California. So I go to the school and I talked to my two community members and I said, do you know where this doctor's at? And they said, well, yeah. You Have you heard what's happened to him? And I said, I know he has a heart problem. And they said, well, it's a little bit more than that. He's been arrested for two felonies and a misdemeanor for having oh sex with his clients. <laughs> so I went, whoa, okay, a cop hooked up with a sexual predator. That's awesome. So I literally had to leave all of that research. And I wandered the campus looking for somebody to be my chair. 
And at the time, it really wasn't great to be a cop looking at doing a PhD because mm-hmm. I don't know if they thought we'd hit them or I don't know. People just didn't want to work with a cop. So I don't know if you remember the book, Are You My Mother? Do you remember that old uh-uh, book? I okay, it's an old children's book. Okay. And this little birdie runs around and asks all these weird things. Are you my mother? I felt like that. I was asking, <laughs> would you work with me? And they would say, no, no, I don't want, I don't want to work with you. So I finally went to this one professor that I had written a a paper about uh, spirituality Uh in policing. And he said, I will be your chair, but you must take a spiritual approach. And I said, I don't care. Okay, whatever, I'll do it. And then I got home and I went, oh my God, there's nothing out there. So initially- Hold on, I'm confused. He 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 agreed to work with you if you took a spiritual approach to- my research. To your research. Mm-hmm. And what did you mean? You found nothing in terms of there is how to n- take that approach? There was approach? nothing on spirituality and law enforcement. Oh. In there was term- nothing in the world. Nothing. So initially I was panicked. And then as I started to look at doing this project, I went, wow, this is a huge hole in the body of knowledge. And this is really almost divinely guided that I'm looking at doing this. So I found the research in uh, nursing, in the oncology department. I found it in military. And so I took that research, and then I did a qualitative study across the United States asking police officers how they incorporated spirituality in their work and uh, how that kept them healthy. And so it was the first study, and so now people will build off of that. What did you find? For the There are about nine sub-themes, three main themes, but basically I would say 99% believe that the work is like a calling, even if they're atheists. It's a different language, but it's the same kind of what do they consider sacred beyond themselves. Right. So they'll explain it's, it's the human being that I'm protecting. It's that idea of the human being. That's what's sacred. Okay. So something larger than self. So I've I've interviewed uh, fundamental Christians, Buddhist, Baptist, Mormons. I've interviewed pagans. The only place where I fell is I tried to interview a Native American police officer. And I I realized I made a mistake when I uh, was told that I needed to interview the community, and which was heartbreaking and yet so rewarding to understand that lesson. So anyway, They believe it's a calling. It's also a way how they deal with human destructiveness and suffering. They find spiritual practice, whether it's self-reflection, prayer, a connection to meditation, anything like that. They will will use those methods in order to detox themselves from the destructiveness. Mm -hmm. And they consider the person in front of them a human being. So, you know, initially when when you think spirituality and law enforcement, that doesn't go together. It really does. For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What to Be at KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. I'm Jacob Shackman, and today we're speaking with Dr. Ginger Charles and learning about her journey to becoming the chair and instructor of criminal justice at Cabrillo College. It really does. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm getting too fascinated in your research. <laughs> I need to know more yeah. about you. I want to okay. go back to something you mentioned earlier where they, someone broke into the sports store that yes. you were working at. yes. A police officer said, you should be a cop. And you thought, so you try it out. But there has to have been 
something else, something before this interaction that had you and you gave you an interest in criminal justice? Nothing. Nothing. I had. I had a father who did not like police. He did not like military. There were no police officers in my family. Mm-hmm. I had never touched a gun. So were you just at a time in your life that you were looking for some direction? or I think I initially, when I thought about the job, I thought, well, it'll be exciting and it will be different every day. Yeah. And then when I got into the job and I had contact with people, then I realized it was my calling. Yeah. It was the highest way I could serve humankind. Was it the contact with people that started to make you feel, yes, this this is it? Yeah. I have very little understanding of what it means to be in law enforcement. And these days, that doesn't necessarily sound, it doesn't, it sounds not True. exciting or not, 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 exciting isn't the right word, but it's incredibly stressful, right? And so right. what about those interactions made you feel that this was your calling? It's a very strange show. You know, you see some of the most amazing, weird things in the world. But it's also where you have the opportunity to have a bit of influence on somebody who is in the worst crisis. I have another story if you want that. Please. So this is basically where I had uh, I had seven at gunpoint. What and does that mean? I had seven where I had my gun on them ready to shoot them. So I, well, seven I people. Se- seven people. Yeah. That- yes. So I was sitting in a parking lot. I was drinking a couple of coffee and uh, was it, I think it was a Saturday. And for some reason, I was the only officer on this one side of the city. The rest of the department was on the other side of the city. And we get a call of a, it was a fight in one of the apartment buildings in the parking lot. So I dump out my coffee. I head that direction. I'm only a couple blocks away. It's in an area where they don't particularly like police. So I drive in there, and just as I pull into the driveway, they tone the call out, which means now it's a deadly force encounter. Now that means there's a there's some kind of a knife or a gun involved. So, you know, my senses are alert. I drive in there. I park my patrol car. And if you can imagine, there's, a, there's an apartment building on the left side of me, and then there's a parking lot in front of me, and there's only one car. It's a very large SUV. There's not another car in that parking lot. And then there are running boards on the on this SUV. And there are people standing on the running boards beating people on the inside of this SUV. So I pull my gun. I'm standing behind the car door. And I start to point my gun at them. And I yell at them to come out of the car. And it was like the Guinness Book of World Records. People just started pouring out oh of this God. car. <laughs> well, one guy took off and ran around the building. So he ran out of my view, which is very, very dangerous. Right. Because he clearly could have come around and taken advantage. But I had to keep my focus on the front. And there were no, I didn't have a backup. You're not with anybody. You are alone. Right. So five of them come out and immediately get down in front of the vehicle. And they are on their knees and they have their hands in the air. And then there are two guys that refuse and they start walking toward me from opposite ends. So if you imagine a clock, I'm facing 12. There's one coming at me from the two, and there's one coming at me from the 10. And they're walking closer and closer. So what happens is, is they're saying, you're not going to shoot me. And I'm like, I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> and the people on the ground are screaming and yelling and saying, she's going to shoot you. Get down, get down, get up, get down on the ground. And I start to realize that I'm yelling but I'm not frightened. And then I'm pointing my gun back and forth to the left and to the right. 
And then in my mind, I can actually see, this did not happen, but in my mind, I can see myself shoot the one on the left. I can see my bullets hit him in the chest and in the head. I can see the bullets exit his body and go into the dirt, which means a good shoot in my world. I turn to the guy on the left. I shoot at him. Bullets in the chest, one in the head. He falls down. I see the bullets enter the dirt. Good shoot. That's all in my in my mind. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, it was like I was encased in this bubble with all of these people. We were all enclosed in this bubble. And then as I'm still yelling commands, this blackboard rolls in front of my mind. And on this blackboard, I can see something writing in script, the word preclusion. So I can, I'm yelling commands. People are yelling back at me. They're approaching. I'm making the decision about how close I'm going to let them get before I have to shoot them. And I watch this word preclusion being written on this imaginary blackboard. And preclusion, in case you don't know, means have you exhausted every level of force prior to the use of deadly force? And when I see that word and I'm yelling commands, I reach down to my belt and I pull out my pepper spray and I put it on the butt of my gun. And the two guys dropped to their knees and said, don't effing mace me, don't effing mace me. And I had the biggest dumb look on my face. I could not figure out why they fell to their knees with that. What? (laughs) They would rather be shot at with a gun than sprayed at in the face. The only thing I can think of is they figured I wouldn't shoot them, but the mace was a different story. That's the only thing I can figure. Just as that happens... Everyone shows up, Mm -hmm. the bubble breaks, and now we're back to cops and robbers. And what I I didn't tell anyone the story. I told no one for probably months. I actually wrote this story to that professor that eventually agreed to be my chair. And I drove away and I thought, that's changed me forever as far as how I will do law enforcement. Because what I realized was we were all in that bubble and we were allowed to do the best work we could possibly do together to have the highest outcome. One of us could have made a deadly error and we would all had to live with that. Mm -hmm. But instead, we all walked away. In fact, one of the kids actually had a warrant for his arrest for first degree murder on a police officer. The other one came up to us later when I was talking to my sergeant and he said, hey, thanks for not killing me. And I turned to him and I said, you're welcome (laughs) and meant it. And I just was like, wow, they have changed. These guys have changed my life forever. I wonder if I've had any effect on them, but I don't get to know that. Right. So that's that's the big change for me. I have to digest this for <laughs> just a second. I mean, that's an incredible that you were able to do. You had all these different things go through your head to have it happen in, in a split second under such incredible stress and by yourself. Tell me more about your personal background, if you can, that you think might have allowed you to to be to do that i mean i'm just trying to imagine right you you've at at least at that point had some training you've had some uh education in terms of psychology but man that takes a a hell of a person to be able to go through all that and and reflect both in the experience and and after and so how how would you what about yourself how did you stand up to seven people in this situation how how did you get to be you at that point well, interestingly, the whole call from the, the beginning of when I drove there to the time it ended took three minutes. And, and so that part amazes me. I've always been a believer in a higher power, but uh-huh. I'm not 
based in any religion. I've never been baptized. Um, it's more of a personal relationship with with a higher being. I would have to say that I recognize as a police officer that my job may include me losing my life, doing what I need to do, which is protecting mm-hmm. those that I need to protect. Uh, when you get in a situation like that, you're in it, and you either fight or you don't fight, and those are the decisions you make. But there have been, Maslow talked about peak experiences, and we all have them. We just may not recognize we have them. So I will, I will tell the story now and I will have police officers who say they'll look at me and they'll kind of furrow their brows and think about it a while and then they'll go well I had this experience and I'm like yeah you did you just don't realize it and it's again it's the capacity of our mind it's almost prescient so the mind works so fast that you know some may think that you are a psychic or whatever but our mind is actually able to run through all of those scenarios if we're open to that, mm-hmm. that's the power of our brain. Everybody has that. I'm nothing special. I just happen to record it. I happen to reflect on it and know the power of it and then hopefully teach it. For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What to Be at KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. I'm Jacob Sheckman, and today we're speaking with Dr. Ginger Charles and learning about her journey to becoming the chair and instructor of criminal justice at Cabrillo College. So I, I do want to, I've had so much interest in, in again, your background and, and all of these uh, things that you've been able to talk about so far, but now I want to talk more about uh, what it is you do today. What are some, let's ask, what are some common misconceptions about your your role now? Hmm. I will tell you that becoming a police officer, and I think one of the misconceptions is, is that you just kind of fall into a job or you, you fall into the line of work and then everything rolls from there. I worked really hard to get a job in law enforcement. Even though we're trying to get more women in policing, it's still hard, it, mm-hmm. it, but that's the hard is what makes it good, as it's been said before. You know, you work hard at this. When I decided to retire and then go into teaching, that's not a craft that you normally just have. You, you have to hone that craft and get good at it. And so I spent years as an adjunct professor learning how to be a better teacher. So Cabrillo hires me, and now I'm running this criminal justice program. And there's so much I have to to learn. So I I think one of the big misconceptions that happens is that just because I've been a cop doesn't mean that I can run a criminal justice program. I have to learn all that as well too. And then there are different ways of looking at, at colleges. Modesto Junior College is different than Cabrillo. Everybody has their own flavor. The students are different here. And so uh, I'm learning the ways of these students here. I'm learning how to best anchor them into the, the information I'm trying to give them. I'm trying to beef up their integrity, their morals, and their ethics. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to sell a mission because I loved law enforcement. I loved being in law enforcement. And the best way that I can help it now is to produce healthy, happy police officers. Right. So how, how do you go about this day to day? You show up at Cabrillo. For what, what's a, a day in the life Okay, so as far as Cabrillo, I show up uh, and I 
try and give the best class that I can. I'm very, very attentive to my students, and that may be a little bit different than has been done in the past. I'm not, I can't say for sure, but I would say by other programs, mm-hmm. not necessarily Cabrillo. I've seen a lot of old law enforcement that try and teach and teach gruffly rather than understanding we have a new generation coming in here, and that new generation wants to know that they're valued, that they're important, that they have a mission too, and they want to feel like they belong. And so my job is to make sure that they know they belong, that they can do it. And if they can't do the job as a law enforcement, what other jobs could they do in law enforcement that are so wonderful, such as crime analyst or maybe a PIO, which is letting people know what's going on in the agency. What's a PIO? Public information officer. Maybe they want to be a community resource officer. Maybe they want to do something with animal control. So it doesn't have to be a police officer. There are so many valuable positions within law enforcement if if they want to go that direction. Do a lot of students who come into criminal justice have the mindset that they think, I'm coming here to be a police officer? Yes. Yes. Wow, and so. and what happens is many of them can get disappointed because maybe they have a few glitches in their background. Maybe mentally they're not prepared for it. And that could be anything from having some difficulty to having, you know, some residual trauma that they're working on to just not a good fit for the for the career because mm-hmm. it is a tough career. So, but that's nothing against them. That's just, you know, that's just the way the business right. is. Yeah. And so I hope to impart that that there are so many other avenues that they can help that are just as important. Why do you think it is that, uh, from from what I understood in what you were just saying, that it might seem that there is a, a conception amongst older police officers who are now trying to teach to do it in this gruff manner. But you clearly recognize, as you said, there's a new generation who are coming from different perspectives. So why do you think it is that you were able to recognize this? I get the sense that you probably had that that notion fairly early on in your teaching. Yes, I think probably the psychology background is a, is a big bonus. Uh, I think that I, I really work not to have any ego involved in this. And you know cops have a huge ego. Sure. So I, I keep those things in check. I mean, certainly I had some Jane Wayne going on there too when I was on the force. <laughs> but, you know, we, we just have to recognize I'm here to serve those students. They're not here to serve me or any of, any of my needs. So you mentioned the difficulties in terms of being a woman and have the extra hurdles that you've had to jump. What advice do you have for, for people who, for women who are struggling with that? How do you battle this every day? It's a good question. There's a, there's kind of an unwritten rule in law enforcement that men go into the business and prove themselves once and then they're golden. Women go to work and they prove themselves every night or every day. And that's just, the it is you know, it's still a good old boys club right now. It's getting better. And many, many men in the profession recognize that there needs to be more women in the profession. We add a really great balance to the work because um, there are times where we have like the mommy syndrome. So in other words, somebody won't fight us um, because they may look at us as a mommy figure. Mm -hmm. So we have that advantage, whereas somebody maybe our size would get picked on. That's the kind of that short man syndrome, and they kind of go after somebody. I can tell you it bothered me a lot. I had to kind of, you know, let it go over the years. But I can remember riding with uh, my sergeant in this um, this small town, and it was a coal mining town. And so uh, we were off to the races and headed to this fight 
that was between a father and a son. It was in one of the trailers in the far side of town. And we get to the door and I'm trying to impress my sergeant. I haven't been a cop that long and I'm banging on the door and you can hear the guys and they're just pounding each other on the floor. And so somebody opens the door and literally these guys are on the floor and they look at me. They, They have their fists up ready to hit each other. And they look at me and they said, they sent a girl. And I can remember, I think I was, I think I turned green and I, you know, ripped out of my, I mean, I was just like the Hulk. I was just so (laughs) angry that they would think they sent a girl. So, you know, you learn how to prove yourself. I think you find mentors and uh, I'm always available for that for anyone. I think there are more and more women going into it. And so we need to mentor each other. And sometimes we're not very kind to each other because we're competitive. So if a woman is having a difficult time to find somebody who who can support her. And uh, sometimes that's not easy, but I'm always there at Cabrillo. They can certainly call me. I'll help them whatever way I can. I sincerely hope this show will help lead people to you. For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What to Be at KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. I'm Jacob Shackman, and today we're speaking with Dr. Ginger Charles and learning about her journey to becoming the chair and instructor of criminal justice at Cabrillo College. From here on, I kind of want to spend the rest on terms of advice that you would give to those who are looking to get into criminal justice, and you've had all these different routes, so advice you would give to those looking to become police officers, looking to teach in criminal justice. Is there Are there ever students who go into your class explicitly to teach in the future? No, I'd love it. In fact, I was talking with my research partner. I have a research partner in the UK, in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the, the importance of maybe developing something where we teach police officers how to be teachers, not trainers. Right. Because there is a difference. And the social, psychological components of how we challenge people in the field can be really cruel. If we taught them how to teach, that might be a bit different. Mm -hmm. So one of the hard things about this field is if you haven't come from criminal justice Many police officers don't value your work. Oh, in fact, when I did my research, it was very interesting. Every participant wanted to make sure that I was a cop first, and they wanted to know that that email that I sent them was coming from a government address versus a, like a personal address. Mm-hmm. So when why, they knew, why is that? It, it's a very secretive. It's a very close society. It's certainly opening up now more and more as time goes on, but it, it's a very protective society. And my hope is that we open it up because we'll get healthier mm-hmm. as we open it up. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone should be a teacher. Right. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I think this this comes from my not fully understanding a, a professor at, at Cabrillo or at different community colleges. Do you Are you still conducting research? Yes, I am. Last year, my research partner and I, uh, last Octo- a year ago, October, we were over in the UK and we were presenting at one of the conferences for the College of Policing. Um, and we were talking about, it was interesting, it was all about innovation and learning and, you know, all these new gadgets and what's going on. And so I looked at him and I said, you know, they have not talked at all about the human being behind the badge. So we presented on what happens to people when they're not taken care of. 
what kind of effect do we have from the top down if we don't take care of them? And and we demonstrated that if you don't take care of somebody, how do they stay healthy to go take care of a community in crisis? How do they do that? They just can't. So um, so anyway, it was it was pretty successful. And so we continue to do research here and there. We've written a couple books and and we'll continue to do to do that as as time permits. But what are those books? So he and I have a book called um, Leadership Resilience, uh, Lessons from the Frontline of Policing. And then I wrote a book a couple years ago called uh, Police Pursuit of the Common Good. And it's about what's going wrong and right within our police communities using social, social psychological components, you know, as far as culture, how we affect each other in the community, what's good behavior and why is bad behavior pronounced in law enforcement. So... Our, our last guest, he said something interesting that our, our brain is hardwired to recognize bad news. His example was, if there's a lion at the watering hole, you have to notice that there's a lion at the watering hole. But he also acknowledged it's just this button is getting pressed and that people are numbing. So I, it's interesting you, you add, why, is the, why are the bad things so pronounced? Mm-hmm. So we have such a strong sense of belonging that um, sometimes we'll do anything. And you can see it in, you know, our political world, in our communities, in our beliefs. And this certainly happens in the law enforcement community. As far as hardwired for that, your guess was right. Basically, we have the animal brain, the amygdala, and it's hardwired for anger, fear, and aggression. And then you have, hopefully, your prefrontal cortex, which is hardwired for compassion and ethics and creativity and and lying, so, <laughs> so yeah. Okay, I need to move back to some of the some of the more advice focused questions. If you were to hire someone to take your position, what would you be looking for in terms of the most important traits to you in an applicant to take my job? As, right. Yeah. If you were okay. if you were headed out the door and you you were in charge of hiring the next person, I would want somebody who who has a good understanding of the mission of what we need uh, as the future of policing. I would also want them to to um, to be compassionate about the, the students coming in because many of them are coming in already traumatized from whatever, from uh, border issues or immigration. So many of them are walking in with, with issues that are really harming them right now, and then they're going into a profession that is traumatizing as well. So I think my next successor needs to to be aware of that to be mm-hmm. i think emotionally intelligent about those things even more than me you know i would love to see that and and have that concept of i serve them they don't serve me in this position yeah you've talked a lot about the training and and credentials you've gone through is there any other kind of certificate or, or, or any anything else that we haven't already talked about that's really helped you excel and succeed in your career. One of the things that we had, I'd actually spoken with a friend about was there's a a program, I'm sure it's out here too, it's called Crisis Intervention Training or CIT. And that, uh, because I had a doctorate in psychology, they asked me to kind of run the program when I was back in Colorado, when it was first getting started. And it's basically teaching cops how to talk to people when they're in mental crisis. And uh, what that actually did for us was kind of slow it down. It was not popular. There were only just a few of us that wanted to try this. 
So instead of fighting people who are really struggling, it was slowing it down and asking what's going on and looking at creative ways in order to to bring down that crisis. Then it became very popular mm -hmm. because people wanted another solution that was less violent, uh, less paperwork. And I, I would say that that was probably a great certificate or program that helped okay. and certainly enhanced what, what I was already doing. So Wonderful. Yeah. That's really all, all we have for, for main questions here. So the last thing is really just, is there anything that you really want to drive home for our listeners? I think that whether you're looking at a career in law enforcement or a career in teaching, the whole point is not to give up. You know, there may be a different direction you need to go or a different path to take, just not to give up. You know, the doors will open and they'll close but there's always something that you're learning from whatever experience that you're going through. So, for example, in testing for this position here, I had tested at five different universities and colleges before I got this one here, too. Recognizing now, with hindsight, this one led to this one. I learned this bit of advice from this one, and then it moved me toward this position here. So tenacious in our approach as far as what we, what we want to do with our passion in life. Have tenacity. Have tenacity. Awesome. All right. Well, that is all we have. Thank you very much for being here with me today. Thank you. I've had a wonderful time. Okay. <laughs> me too. And thank you to all of our KSQD listeners for tuning in to today's career story on our show, What to Be, with today's guest, Dr. Ginger Charles. If you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, send us an email at whattoberadio at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM's K-Squid Santa Cruz at 7 p.m. on Sundays, or stream online at ksqd.org. Thank you for listening.